Welcome to Hot Laps, brought to you by Heat Shield Products. Race testing. Hey, welcome back to Hot Laps. This is lap number 17. Sorry we haven't been with you. Uh, we've been uh, busy. I got just myself today uh, with Patrick Hill from Heat Shield Products. The up-and-coming star on our YouTube channel that is going to be random beep with Patrick Hill. Soon to uh, hit the airwaves, probably early next week, if not this weekend. Uh, you're not going to be listening to this till Monday, so it may already be out. Who knows? Patrick, how are you? I'm doing fine today. It's a bright, sunny day here in Florida. Man, you guys had some weather earlier, right? I mean, like floods and stuff? Yeah, we've been getting, uh, we had a tropical system that popped up at the last minute and basically was, was dumping a monsoon on us the last few days, and it's finally moving off. So we're, we're moving into our normal summer weather pattern of like three or four days out of seven in the week. It's afternoon rain and thunderstorms. Bogus. Well, I guess if you live there, then that's what you're into. But what are you supposed to do? Uh, so anyway, Steve and Shane are not here, so Patrick is joining me to uh, bring you guys some content. We're going to go over a few things. Uh, I went for a sick ride yesterday with one of our neighbors over here, and I got to tell you something. I learned one thing yesterday. I am getting older because in the old days when I would go in a car that's fast, I wouldn't care. But when I go in a car that's fast now, even with Matt Akala from Best of Show Coachworks, who basically is a professional race car driver. I mean, he bangs the crap out of his Mustang all over. But, you know, it's just like, I don't know, maybe you like turn 45 and then you go like, oh, man. But I couldn't even hold the camera straight. I was looking for something to hold on to. But, Pat, you should have seen this car. You would have been, it, it's like right up your alley. 32 Ford Roadster with a 440 LS. I know we disagree <laughs> on a few things. I don't like putting LSs in Fords, but I know you're all about it, and uh, you're a little bit closer to all that stuff than I am uh, when it comes to racing and, and engines. I mean, why do you think people drop those LSs in, in those projects? It's... Well, it's it kind of goes back to even before the LS motor was around. Was why so many guys drop small block Chevys into pre-war Fords? They're they're plentiful, they're cheap, they're cheap to build, and you can make great horsepower with them without spending a lot of money. I mean, there's so many four eight and five three truck motors out there. You can go find a complete one for less than three hundred dollars if you hunt around. It and it bolts right up to an automatic, a manual whatever transmission you want to put in it they're they're compact they fit easily in the old even the old pre-war cars that didn't have a lot of engine space right you know wise because everything was everything except for the flathead v8 and a couple others everything was in line so it's it just it's hard to escape i will say though the new ford 7.3 godzilla v8 once it starts getting out there i think you'll start seeing that get put in a lot of fords instead of an ls motor wow because it's it is it's got a similar 
physical size to the LS motor. It's over five inches narrower than a Coyote V8, hmm. and it's like over four inches shorter too. And it'll give those guys modern Ford that's easy to fit in those cars. Yeah, I got to say, like looking at our F100 build with the Coyote in it, I mean, that's a that's a pretty big motor. And looking at yesterday, that Roadster with that LS in there, I mean, yeah, it was it was shoehorned in there, but it wasn't like overly tight. I mean, there was still room to actually work on it without having to take a, a bunch of stuff off. And so I think, you know, I think, I mean, you got to be right. I mean, that's why people are doing it. But, I mean, the crazy thing that I saw from uh, some video that you dropped that we're going to share here on YouTube shortly is the Coyote-powered BMW. Um, I thought, yeah. I thought that – now, to me, like, that motor was jammed in there. Like, there was no room. Yeah. That thing was super tight. And so tight in the fact that actually that car has our products on it. The, he wrapped the pipes in lava wrap. And I was talking with the owner a bit. And he, he told me he could he could have easily put an LS in it. But he wanted to do something different. Right. He, wanted to, he wanted the car to stand out more apart from all the other. Because those particular BMWs, I mean, going way back, have always been popular for small block Chevy conversions. So he wanted to stand out. So he was able to get his hands on um, a, a salvage, a, a salvage from a Mustang, that five liter, and it, and its six speed manual transmission that he uh, shoehorned in there. I mean, it was a that was a clean car. It was a, what was it? A seven series, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a seven series coupe. So did he say? You know, as far as speed, I mean, the Coyote is probably faster than the BMW motor. I got to think. Um. For its day, that the the original motor those had in them were pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. They had some reliability issues, and the other thing was is when they when they died, when it came time if if they blew up and you had to work on them, it was very very expensive to work on them, and that's what kind of kicked everybody off to start converting them. Like back in the nineties, when when it was first happening, people loved to get salvaged LT ones and LT fours out of Corvettes and Camaros and Trans Ams to, to put in those things. And then later the LS motors is that group. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you start talking about people working on cars and stuff. I mean, you're, and we seem to be coming out of this funk, um, which was, uh, you know, COVID-19 and, you know, we've, we've been fairly busy and getting lots of orders and I, I got to think people are working on their cars and, um, you know, I'm hoping that car shows are going to be coming around and some races and stuff. I mean, talk to me about some like quick projects that you're thinking about that guys can get done relatively soon uh, with our stuff uh, to manage the heat before they maybe head out on a car show or hopefully get out there and maybe even just, you know, cruise with uh, some buddies. Well, you know, and it's it's probably going to be the way this year's going. It's probably going to be pretty hot summer this year, this year, and then, and then. Sorry, <laughs> I thought I'd put that on silent. Who was it? Um, was it? Was well, it? that was just a little alarm on my phone. I said to remind me of something. You, can so I, my, my can I stop you real quick? Bad. What's going on with the caution tape behind you? Okay, so are you I at a mur are you in a murder scene? <laughs> right. Well, because of, uh, not to get too far off topic, but because of yeah. the regulations to reopen places, 
this establishment basically to maintain the six foot required distance, we marked off every other booth gotcha. to keep people from sitting there. So that way it keeps like everybody spaced out. So we so, don't get in trouble. So is your, so, is the bar slash your office open? Uh, yes, it is open at limited capacity, though we're hoping that as things progress in the next week or two, it's going to be able to open back up and get more back to normal. Like right now, a lot of bars are all across the country. You can't have anybody standing or sitting at the physical bar itself. And that's that goes in restaurants, too. No one can sit or stand at a bar. Hmm. And even and a lot of the regulations are if you're in some place, you can't stand, period. You have to be seated, seated someplace. Or... If you're in the Northeast, a bar. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but getting back to what we were talking yeah, about with, with um, you know, the projects. One, it's probably going to be, I mean, summer's always hot, but I think this year probably should be pr- even hotter. And, you know, a lot of the classic cars, a lot of cars that don't have AC, you know, minimizing those heat sources can go a long way to making the ride a hell of a lot more comfortable in the summer. Um, especially they, you know, they moved power tour, hot rod power tour got moved into late August and that's oh, going to wow. be hot scorcher. So, so, you know, stuff like the heat shield armor to put on the exhaust under the car to cut down on the heat, the exhaust radiates up into the floor, um, installing some of the stealth stealth shield material under the carpet, under the upholstery in the car to, to right. further stop and dampen heat. Um, there's our, our root, um, our, the root, the DB, <laughs> Da, 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 da. The um, DB roof kit that's got the stealth shield and the DB material in it to both stop noise and sound. Because so, a lot of people don't think about that one as, you know, the sun beating down on the roof and heating the roof. And, it you know, that's it's like a solar oven inside a car sometimes. Right. That would be the DB skin with the stealth. And it's the he- headliner kit. It's a, it's a great little kit. Pretty easy to put in. You roll in on, spray on the DB skin, let it dry, uh, it cures, and then you can put on the um, you put on the DB ske- stealth, and then you put that on with like a trim adhesive, and then you put the put your interior stuff right over it. And yeah, you're right. It's that, that's gonna keep sound down along with that heat. And um, you're right. I mean, Baking yeah. in a and car it's right behind a stock headliner. I mean, you put that behind just about any headliner, right. and nobody would know it's there. Yeah, fitment-wise, I mean, it's an eighth of an inch, so it's 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 nothing. I mean, uh, to go back to my little trip around the block yesterday that scared the crap out of me, that's the reason Matt brought that car over. Um, three-eighths or three-sixteenths or something like that, steel plate on the ground uh, and that was the floorboard so he was like man the customer is complaining that this thing is just cooking the crap out of them we threw a yeah yeah, we threw the new stealth floor shield on the ground uh, with the magnets because obviously it's going to stick to that but it's got a marine grade vinyl on top of the stealth shield so you can actually put your feet on it it's diamond stitch so it looks pretty cool um you know, at the end of the day, you can just lay those pieces in there. You're really going to be stoked on on what it is, and that's purchase, put it in the gr- on the floor and play, and it's going to stop heat. What right. else you got? And then, with, and then with the magnets, you yeah. can pull it out. You want to clean? You want to do anything, or exactly. you want to clean the material itself because the footprints are whatnot. Just pull that thing right out, 
wash it down, let it dry, and then, boom, it goes right back in. Absolutely. What else are you thinking about? Um, well, I mean, like a lot of engine compartments, cleaning things up, wiring harnesses, whatnot. I mean, anybody anybody's still using that really chintzy, cheap offshore like I don't want I don't know if corrugated is the right term, but that plastic wire loom material that's been around since like the nineties, that right. JC Whitney type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That that can make an engine compartment look not just dated but hideous totally. Right. Whereas, you know, getting some thermoflex sleeve or some lava tube to put on there that's easy to install and covers up the wiring, protects it from the heat, keeps it from being damaged from heat, both ambient and direct contact and then can really clean up an engine compartment and make it look nice. Yeah, I mean, and the hot rod sleeve, too. I mean, that you're talking about cheap and easy. I mean, that is probably some of our most popular product is that hot rod sleeve. It comes in a 10-foot roll. You could put it in multiple spots in your, in your engine compartment, and you're right. Some of that stuff, not only is it kind of old and dated, but a lot of it's cracked, broken. You know, and, and you're not doing yourself any justice by just leaving those wires either exposed or, you know, uh, just exposed to the elements and heat. And that hot rod sleeve, I mean, you just slide it over. It's got a it, – it will grow up to 20% uh, so you can put it over fittings and stuff. And, uh, you know, the heat shrinks that come with it, you get a couple of heat shrinks with it. You put that down with a heat gun. I mean, you got a new wire loom, really, when you think about it, and – you're not spending hundreds of dollars to do it, and you're right. It 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 can give you and your car a little bit of uh, a, a new look, uh, especially if you spend a bunch of time detailing the engine, getting it ready for that first show. Um, but you got good looking chrome and cracked plastic wire. So. Yeah, and then you know another thing too, talking about the thermal barrier sleeving materials for anybody with a carbureted vehicle, which there are still a lot of them out there, and especially guys on power tour and whatnot. Your fuel lines going through the engine compartment, putting some of the sleeve material on those fuel lines shields them, keeps them from getting heated up, and goes a long way to preventing vapor lock. You know, in the heat of the summer when you've been cruising and. You park for a little bit, It's the motor sits, it heat soaks under the hood, and then you go to start it, and nothing and nothing happens. It just turns and turns and turns. Well, how about those poor saps that sit at the, uh, you stop at a stoplight, and the next thing you know, your car dies. You got seven or eight people in your little car club behind you, and you could have stopped that with about 35 bucks worth of product. You know? Right. And, uh, and, and you can leave it on, yeah. and it won't look nasty like wrapping like the old tin foil and some clothespins trick that a lot of people used. Wow, that's old school. You know, I mean, and, and that's the neat thing about the sleeve, too, is even for like a, a, a stock restoration type of vehicle that someone likes to cruise around in, because the high-temp hook and loop fastening system that's included on those products, you could put that on for your driving, and then when it comes time to park at the show and... You want everything to look all original. You peel it off, display, everything looks great. And then when you're ready to go again, just put it back on and, and hit the road. Yeah, that hook and loop closure is definitely uh, it's definitely uh, convenient. I mean, we have that on the lava tube. We have that on the thermoflect. Um, it, it is it's good. It's a high temperature hook and loop. Uh, I think the important just pro tip is, just face that away from the heat source. 
uh, it, it's not going to take as much uh, heat as the material itself. But yeah, you're right. I mean, again, convenience, ease, um, even some, you know, reliability, especially when you're talking about vapor lock. I mean, people spend a long time trying to figure it all out. And at the end of the day, you probably spend less than 60 bucks to get it fixed. So. Yeah, and that's the big point, too, is you're talking a very economical move. I mean, a lot of people out there right now, people are tight on budgets, whatnot, yeah. and feel for everybody on that. And being cognizant of that is, hey, you can do this and get stuff done, and it really is not a serious pinch on your budget. It, it, it can be worked in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we talked about a little bit of projects, so – you got some sort of uh, archaeology thing there. All right. So we posted about this on Facebook and Instagram. It's like Indiana uh, Jones. Ago. So I picked this up from a friend of mine who works for another company in the industry, National Parts Depot. Um, not a competitor of ours, but good, friendly company. And it's this kit right here. This is a Edelbrock Verijection water injection kit from the 70s. Wow. And is that Voltron this, on the front? Uh, no, it's not <laughs> Voltron. I guess, it, but it, it could be a precursor. It actually is pretty neat. You know, retro. Let me get that a little closer so people can see it. Yeah, that's killer. So where this kit came from in the '70s during the emissions era is everybody motors were being set up to run as lean as possible, to be as clean as possible. Right. You had compression was down. Fuel quality, because you know everybody was switched over to unleaded gas, fuel quality was, was all over the place, and much lower octane. So detonation became a lot bigger problem, especially when engines were under load going up hills. So Edelbrock came out with this kit, and you, you plumbed it in, and it had it was an automatic system. So basically it would sense if you were if your vehicle was going up an incline. It would sense the incline and start pulsing water in through the carburetor to mix with the air-fuel mixture, and that would help to stop and stave off uh, detonation, you know, pre-ignition type issues mm -hmm. that were that were going on. Um, it did have a nice little added benefit too that a little bit of steam and whatnot would clean the cylinders and help also fart car fight carbon buildup. So it was kind of a neat concept, and, and water injection in a piston engine goes way back. It goes back to World War II, pre-World War II. Aircraft engines would use water injection, like aircraft like the P-47 used water injection at high altitude to help the engine run because the oxygen that was part of the water and everything else would help, you know, take the place of the, would help boost the thinner air a bit and also fight the detonation at the thinner air because, you know, supercharged engines, whatnot. Um, then later on, water injection was used in the early jets, um, especially a lot of the airliners. If you watch old video footage, you see like old 707s and DC-8s and whatnot taken off. You see the big plumes, clouds of black smoke coming out the back right. of them. A lot of the early jet engines had water injection systems for takeoff and low altitude. And what that did is it kind of fooled the engine into thinking it was making more power and more thrust than it really is. And it, it would help significantly with takeoff on the earlier jet engines. And then later on, as jet engine technology improved and the engines got better, didn't need it anymore, and it was done away with. Because it obviously it made a tad bit more pollution. Right. So um, one of the downers with these kits, and this, this got found out, 
is that if you lived in a hilly area and you parked on an incline, the system was would stay live. If you didn't hook it up right, it would stay live. And the system would think, oh, we're on an incline. And you start pumping water. So it would start pumping water through the carburetor into the engine. Problem is the engine's not running. Right. So it just sit there until it exhausted the supply of water in the reservoir it has. Well, you come to start up your motor, not realizing that it's the you know some of the cylinders are full of water. Turn the key, boom, hydro lock, bent rods, and the motor's junked. Ooh, you're trying to start so, like an aquarium or something. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so I picked this up. It was it was sixty five bucks from my friend, and a couple of projects working on. I'm trying to maybe put something together for um some up with a carburetor or whatnot, and stick it on and just play around with it and have some fun. Cause well, in the last several years, water injection and water meth injection have come back into play a lot with turbocharged cars and even uh, supercharged vehicles as a way to stave off detonation and make more power, especially with the turbo guys. Turbo guys love that because of the latent heat setup and would help cool the air charge down more. So uh, we're, we're going to play around with a little bit of that later on and uh, install it and, you know, see what we can, what kind of fun we can have with it. Well, that's cool. I, you know what? I can honestly tell you that when I spend time with you, I get smarter. And I hope <laughs> is, is that iced tea or are you drinking bourbon already? Oh God, no, nope. Even though it's Friday, nope. Coke Zero. Oh, Coke Zero. Yeah, that's your go-to. Oh. That's your go-to. Uh, I love a regular Coke every now and then. I get the the Coke from Mexico that's in the big bottles that's made with real sugar instead of corn syrup. But as we all know, too much sugar is not the best thing for you. So this is great. It tastes almost like regular Coke, zero sugar, zero carbs, calories. So, you know, it's it's diet and health friendly. I could take you down the path of some Coca-Cola stuff, but I don't want to give up my pension. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Anywho, uh, like I said, I get a lot smarter when I listen to you. Those are things that I had no idea what was going on. But uh, you have some more information, and people may may already know it out there, but Ford has given us a peek under the tent for the 2021 GT350. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it's, it is. We are just um, – story was just coming out today, and let me uh, pull up. We're going to be posting this to the social media channel, so by the time you – See and talk to this. It will already be up, and uh, you'll probably have already seen it. But let me just uh, find my link here. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. No, not GT350. Okay. All sorts of Ford stuff. The 2021 Mustang Mach 1. Oh, bad butt. Yeah. The nice. the twenty the, the Mach one is making a return to the lineup, which, if memory serves, the last time it was around was when the new edge cars, like, oh, Three oh two oh three oh four, right? And, and that's when it had basically the Mach one was it was like the old original Cobra mod motor Cobra. It had the naturally aspirated four point six dual overhead cam V eight in it. Yeah, the same motor they use in the in the Expedition or the smaller one, I guess. Right. Yeah, the Expedition had the the, the five four, the big version of that. And, he had a four and six though too, right? I'm sorry, what was that? I think it had a 4.6 option as well. Well, the original was the 4.6 DOHC that came out in 96 in the, in the Cobra. 
And then four, and then later on in the in the expedition and the navigator, there was the 5.4 DOHC, and that was used. Then later on, it was used in like the GT, the revival of the GT, and other stuff. And then also the when the GT uh, 500 made its return in 06, 07. But when the the Mach One came out under the New Edge body style, which for our, the non Mustang people, the New Edge body style was 1999 to 2004. It was a uh, a dis- or body refresh on the SN95 that came out in uh, 94. So anyway, so it, it fit in between regular Mustang GT and Cobra with that slot. And, and neat, neat looking cars had a retro style paint scheme and color right. setup similar to the original Mach ones with a shaker hood scoop and everything. Yeah, that was so cool. you can find them. You can find them on the used market now. Fairly affordable. You know, nice cars, fun cars to drive. Yeah, I remember John from DBR telling me at PRI that those that body style was a good one to get after. Not necessarily the Mach 1, but that was a good one to get after because you could do a few things to it. He said, what would he, what did he tell me? He said, spend 15 or 20 grand on the car, put another $20,000 into the motor, and he goes, you'll have a drag car all day long. And that's what DBR does. I mean, they do yeah. a lot of race cars, but... Um, but yeah, he was saying, you know, that that's kind of a cheap way to get into it and you can make that car go real fast. Oh yeah. Well, there's I mean, cuz the the new edge Mustang, I mean, it's the SN and is SN95 new edge Mustang, the whole 94 to 2004 range. There's a huge aftermarket for suspension and other suspension engine performance whatnot for those cars. Uh, they're kissing cousin to the Fox body. So some, some similarities there. Um, they're plentiful Ford literally made millions of them while GM was struggling with the Camaro and the, and the, the firebird. So there's millions of them out there. You can find, and they built a lot of GTs. There are a lot of four, six single cam GTs that were built. You can find those cars for well, well under 10 grand and and stick cars too, not just automatics, but stick cars too. You can find them in decent shape at a very affordable price, and there's a lot you can do with them. And there's kits out there now for engine conversions, like with the aftermarket K members and stuff. You can put, you can put, uh, you can stick a, the four six DOHC motor in. You can put the later three valve motor in. There's kits for putting the five the Coyote V eight in it, um, and 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 the LS motor. Huh. <laughs> you know, you can pretty much put just about any motor you want into one of those Mustangs. The so list goes there's on. a lot of potential. Yeah, that's that's cool. So what what's the uh, so what's the specs on the Mach One? Did you get that or is um, it? Is it it's it's in the story. Uh, let's see. It's it's a it's a hidden spy shot. Let's see what they have to say. Um, it's going to have the five liter Coyote. It's going to be naturally aspirated, so no no boost, no nothing. Um, and it's like the previous Mach 1. It's going to fit in between the regular GT and the Shelby variants. Cool. So it's it's going to have it, – it's going to fit nicely. looks like it's going to have big Brembo brakes on it. Um, let's see. Let's see. No hmm. – no, no specs, no engine specs yet, but there are some nice spy shots of the car out on the track being tested. So I'd, I'd be willing to guess that it's probably going to have – if anything, this will have a different tune on it than the stock GT. They'll they'll squeeze some more power out of it one way or another to further set it apart from the regular GT, but not infringe on the territory of the Shelby series. 
Well, that's good information. You're going to put that up on our social media. Yep, I'll be posting that to social media today, so everybody can, uh, by the time, of course, by the time everybody's seeing it, they'll they'll know what it's already been out. So, so and then as soon as we see more stuff, we'll keep posting to uh, social on it. Cool. All right. Well, that's about all we got today. But I had one more question for you. <laughs> Was that car yours that had the? It looked like expand foam in the muffler. Because that thing no. is that I looked. <laughs> I looked today. We had almost 15,000 impressions on that and people look at the, people look at that and go like whose car was that and and there's there's people on Instagram that are genuinely pissed that whoever did that to somebody <laughs> and I think it was a joke so maybe you can give us a little bit more information on that uh, no that Before I mean it was legit it wasn't a joke nothing that I did or anybody else did um but yeah a guy basically had a neighbor who didn't like how loud the stock exhaust was on his new Mustang and just finally and, and would leave notes and other stuff and finally just snapped and went full Karen on the deal and went in and, and, and squirted expanding foam into the tailpipe and, and did that. I Though I'm sure more than a few neighbors, my truck is not the most quiet thing in the world right now due to a massive exhaust leak that's cropped up. So I'm sure there's a few of my neighbors that would like to do that to me, but it would only make it worse, not better. So, I, yeah. uh, But, you know, you know, it's it's like one of those things, you're ticked with someone or whatnot. There's ways to go about it. Don't, don't, not the car. Don't, don't, not the car. Right. I, uh, that reminds me of as a kid, when I was 17, I had a 69 Baja bug. And of course, with the Baja bug, you want to go to, you know, get a stinger. And uh -huh. I remember driving up to ORW. I had a stock muffler on there. And I remember driving up to ORW with uh, my tools. And I went into ORW on Balboa Avenue. That was their first one. They're, they're still around here in San Diego. So shout out to Jason, the boys. But uh, I bought the stinger. It was like 15 bucks. Changed my life. I drove that thing home. My mom comes out and she's like, well, we lived on a hill. She said, well, you realize you're going to have to push that out of the driveway and coast down the hill before you start it. And I said, okay, whatever. It's fine. So, you know, every morning go to school. I push the push my Baja bug out of the driveway, coast it down the hill, throw it into second gear, pop the clutch. And she said she could hear me take off, going down Marina Boulevard, which is a long road by our house. And then probably a mile down the road, there was a stoplight. And she said she could hear me stop and then take back off again when she was standing out on the deck. So I was like, yes, this thing's awesome. But the neighbors were not happy. But nobody put foam in there. They were just like, we appreciate you pushing it down the hill. So... It was, uh, it was now, did good. you have the stinger in your Baja bug? Was it still under the car? Did you have the setup where the pipes came up and out the back, pointing vertically up? Yeah, it was a single pipe, so it came off the came off the uh, the engine, and then it went into a single, and then it came. You know, it had like the uh, triangle uh, place where you mm. connected it. You put it in there, and you put your gasket. I, like literally, I, I I switched it over at ORW in five minutes. Okay, he gave me a new gasket and the stinger tailpipe. He said, "Hey, you're supposed to put a baffle in there, so it, you know, 
you know, it won't kick fire out. And I'm like, I said, well, I only have 20 bucks. So he goes, all right, well, you can go, you can get away with it for now, but you know, you might want to put that in there. So I was like, yeah, whatever. So yeah, I had this stinger out of there and it was like a cone, right? So it came out and then it coned out and then, yeah, it just stuck right out the back, just like a bee stinger. But yeah, that thing was loud. And, um, I remember picking up my wife, uh, in that, well, she was my girlfriend at the time. And her mom insisted that she could not ride on the back of a motorcycle. And she said, no, it's not a motorcycle. And they said, well, what kind of car is it? And, you know, my wife is Steve's sister and her dad is obviously obviously our president of Heat Shield. He said, well, what kind of car is it? And I said, it's a Baja bug. And she said, okay, Rita can drive. So I I could drive, but I couldn't pick her up because they didn't want to ride around in a Baja bug, which I probably can't blame them because, look, it was a metal body with fiberglass all around it, and it was super fast. So, uh, yeah, that was – but that's fine. It only got 10 miles of the gallon, so on a 10-gallon tank, you could go 100 miles, and uh, I'd drive to their house, and she would drive the rest. I mean, how far – it's you were in Southern California back before it got – insane and nuts and whatnot yeah. so did you have to drive more than 100 miles anyway to go have fun well a couple things with that is my wife lived about 30 miles away from where i was living uh we met in high school was a private school so you didn't really you could come from anywhere in the county so the fuel gauge never worked on the baja bug don't ask me why okay <laughs> And I never fixed it. So I drove around literally with a 10-gallon or a uh, one-gallon jerry can, give me 10 miles. It had a Holly Progressive. It was a 32-millimeter and a 34 into a 1776 motor. So it gulped gas, okay? But gas, when I was 17, was like $1.20. So it wasn't that big a deal. So, yeah, I had to ride around with that. But, yeah, multiple times I ran out of gas just – yeah, I'd forget, you know, and you drive to school three or four times, and that was basically about 100 miles. But, yeah, any long distance on that, you'd need to bring a jerry can. So <laughs> that was that, that was the Baja Bug story. But uh, all good, Patrick. I appreciate you joining me and uh, hope you have a good weekend, and um, I'll catch up with you. On the flip side. Yep, looking forward to. And hopefully we're gonna we're gonna go over we're gonna drive over to the Cape tomorrow. We're gonna try and get some uh, footage oh, of sweet. the SpaceX launch and uh, post be posted that to social and whatnot. So hopefully the weather will cooperate uh, Saturday or Sunday for us. Yeah, killer man. That's that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's I know that's a big topic that you like, and uh, it's kind of cool that we're not having to hitch a ride with the Russians. Yeah, especially with everything going on right now. No kidding. Ho- hopefully they stay six feet apart, man. <laughs> All right, brother. Oh, yeah. Thanks again, man. Good to be see you with you today. All right, open that bar up. Let's get some people in there. All right, buddy. Talk uh, to you later. Four o'clock. Four o'clock. All right. Take it easy. <laughs> well, where can people, if they're listening, where can they come and see Patrick and talk heat shit? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I. No, there are no warrants out for me right now, so I, I'm all over. I'm pretty tough to miss, and like I said, you can hear my truck coming from miles away. So There you go. <laughs> all right, everybody, thanks for listening and uh, or viewing, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Take care.
From everyone at Heat Shield Products, we thank you for listening to Hot Laps. Leave that review, subscribe, tell a friend, and most of all, stay cool. We'll see you next time, right here on Hot Laps. Hot Laps.